Happy Sunday, Life Church family. I'm Linda Wall, a volunteer here at Life and a staff member at Champs Academy. Thanks for being here today. We are excited to have you. Did you know that Life Church is more than just a church? We actually have multiple different businesses for missions right inside these very walls. Champs Academy is one of those businesses for mission. Champs provides our community with the opportunity to come work out and engage with people through exercise. This is an amazing way to meet people we wouldn't normally meet. Did you also know that here at Life Church, we have multiple ways to serve? This is another great way to meet people and to get connected with the church. If you are interested in serving, you can go to our app, click on the This Sunday tab, and select the serving box listed in the options. One of our staff members will contact you to get you connected and ready to serve. If you have any questions about anything you've heard today or just want to find out more about the church, stop by the Connect Center located in the cafe or talk to a campus pastor. We hope you enjoy the service and have a great Sunday. Good morning. Welcome to Life Church. Let's praise God together. Praise Him, praise Him, 
Well, good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. So a lot to talk about today. We've got a lot going on. So if you want to go ahead and just turn to Revelations 2, uh, I'll give you, as you're turning there, we'll go give you a little recap. So if you're here for the first time, uh, we're studying through the book of Revelation, um, and we're going to look through the seven letters, and so we're going to set some foundational principles because, again, if you haven't been here, it's really important to work from the foundation and work your way up because it all builds upon uh, each other. And so working from the foundation of where we were in the beginning, so if you're joining us online too, we'll catch you guys back up. So in the study of the book of Revelation, there's kind of an interesting study from this uh, understanding. A lot of times when you talk to people about the book of Revelation, you get one or two uh, responses, right? But most of the response that you get is, I read it, and every time I read it, I'm completely confused, right? It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't really understand it very well. And in it, the, the, the part that's interesting is, is the reason that it's called the book of Revelation is to bring clarity, right? So the reason that you would read the book of Revelation is to bring clarity to things that God says we need to be clear on. So when you read it, it's not meant to be confusing. And so what we're trying to help clear up is for each one of us in the room, when you are reading it, why does it seem confusing and how can we then take it and do what it's supposed to do, which is to bring clarity to a couple different things, right? And here's what it's supposed to bring clarity to. So if you ever read the book of Revelation, one of the things that it does is it kind of brings everything together and culminates some things, which is to say, here's what a lot of the scripture said, here's the things that he's talked about, but I want to bring it to a head and I want you to recognize something. The most important thing for you as a believer is to be in relationship with me, right? And that my presence and my power is going to be the thing that's going to change everything for you. Right? So Revelation brings this idea, or Revelation brings this idea that there's nothing more, than the pre- nothing more powerful than the presence of God in the midst of a person's life. Right? So it starts with this whole idea. But he brings with that blessing, right? because that's a blessing that we get as Christian people, that if you believe and you read and you receive and you follow, he says, I'm going to be with you and my presence is going to do in you what nobody else or nothing in the world could ever do. Things that you thought were, <clears throat> could never get over, things that you thought were broken that could never be healed. The signs and wonders we see inside of Scripture weren't something that's just historical. It's things that can still happen today. Right? I think way too many times we read it and we're like, wow, it's so, I wish we could see those things today. Well, you can. That same presence and that same power is in the same Jesus that's living inside of each one of us today that was living inside of them then, Right? But what he does say is blessing comes on those people who will believe and live by faith and follow me, and miraculous things are going to happen, right? And you're going to see it all around you. And so there's that blessing, but he also says this, but be careful, there's also a warning. And here's the warning. There's going to be lots of people that in the midst of all of this that are going to be exposed for essentially being a fake believer, People that attend, people that walk the walk, people that show up to church, people that read their Bible, people that say all the right things. But at the end of the day, through the book of Revelations, there's going to be some things that are going to be revealed inside of you. And part of what's going to be revealed is you're not in relationship with him. But the cool thing about it is this. It's not too late. That's what's so awesome about the book of Revelation is it's not too late. Like It's good to recognize it right, right now. Because the reality is, if you read all the way through the book, this is what's so important. 
not only is it not too late, you get to see the end of the story and who wins. Right? Like you get to see the end of the story and you get to see the one that truly is victorious. And if you want to be victorious, then you need to be on his side. Right? So that's, you get to read all the way through that. You get to understand it. So it's like this blessing that he's going to be with us and that his presence changes everything. And then also this idea that there's this warning, don't get caught looking from the outside in. Right? And we're going to have to work through some hard subjects, which I think if you've been here for the past couple weeks, you know, when we've been talking about us, some hard subjects. Right, like when you talk about some of these things, like uh, week two, because week one is like we need to get on God's side because where He is, we want to be. Period. I mean, I'll just sum it up. Like, there's nothing more important to us as a church and to you as an individual than the presence of God, because it is the only thing that will change things. Right. So we need to do things that make sure that we're on His side and we want His presence with us. Week two, we said, so here's some letters written to the churches, and here's how we should read them. When you read letters to the churches, you should read them like this was an actual physical church, so just like Life Church. It would be a letter that was sent to them, and the leader would get up and he would read the letter, and then they would have to decide what are they going to do with it. Same concept is, so today that letter is timeless in that when we read it, we're reading it the same way that they would have, right? Meaning there's something to say to the church, and there's something to say to me. Right, So week two was, we're going to look at the church of Ephesus. The letter went to them, and he said to them, like many churches, you're doing a great job in some of these areas, right? Or you were doing a great job in some of these areas. Like Ephesus was a church plant, so when he went and planted the church, he was really excited about what was going on because these people were on fire for Jesus because they loved him so much, and it says they were doing his work, which would have mean then have been out reaching people, right? They would have been reaching more people and saying, you're not going to believe this. Jesus saved me. You want the same thing, and just amazing things were happening in it. And then 40 years went by, right? And at the end of the 40 years, he says, but here's a problem. You've lost your first love. And we sit back at that, and we're always like, how could that ever happen? You know, and I tried to tie these things together that week. I'm not really sure that it got tied together, so maybe try to tie it together again, which is this idea. We shouldn't think that that's crazy. Like, we shouldn't think that it's crazy that you can essentially fall out of love because it happens in marriages all the time, Right? Like you see, essentially, as marriages go on, like you had this incredible love where you can't get enough of the person in the beginning, and then years go by, and you're like, <laughs> if I don't see him in a day, does it even matter? Do you know what I mean? Or I don't see him in a week, does it really? You know what I'm saying, right? Like you get to this point where the love is not the same. Well, the same reality was with the church, right? Or the same reality is with your relationship. I've seen people come out on fire a year later, two years later, three years later, five years later, and then pretty soon you don't even see them in church anymore, and you're like, what the world happened? Right? Like, what, what would go from, like, you loved him so much and you couldn't miss a Sunday to, like, I don't know, I haven't been here in a year. You know, I've been here in two years. Whatever. How does that happen? Well, this is how it happens. This is what we know about relationships. You know this about your own relationship. If you don't work on loving your spouse, you will fall out of love with them. This is the way it works. You don't work on your marriage. You don't work on your relationship. Over time, you will, that's just the natural thing that happens with relationships. You're just going to fall out of love. Same concept. If you're not going to work on your relationship with Jesus Christ, you will lose or fall out of love with that because you're not working on that relationship. So again, the church of Ephesus, he was saying to them, it's okay. Like, I mean, it's not okay. Like, you're really good and now you're really bad. But you can do something about it. Change, 
right? And isn't that the great thing? Because it's the same thing in your marriage. It's not too late, right? You can change. Just figure out, this is what he says to the church, and this is what he would say to each one of us. Just figure how far you've fallen. Now, here's a key to change, right? Because it's the only way to change things. And I tied it, again, tied together with relationship. Saying you're sorry and not changing doesn't change anything, right? So you can't keep this vicious cycle of just saying, like, oh, I'm really sorry. You know, I wasn't home tonight. I'm really sorry I didn't do. I'm really sorry I didn't show up for it. Really sorry. That's not what he's saying when he says to us, like, we need to change things. To the church, he would say, don't just say I'm sorry, but repent, right? And what's the difference between asking for forgiveness and repentance is that when you repent, you turn the other way and do something different, right? That's what he says. So you can get a chance. Like, if you've fallen out of love with Jesus, guess what? If you do this, this is the promise. If you repent and turn to him, this is what's so great about him. He's waiting for you. Isn't that awesome? Like you could have walked away, spit on him, did whatever you wanted, lived the life wherever you wanted, walk in this direction, and as soon as you turn, he's there to embrace you. There's nothing better, no other love like the love of Jesus Christ because you'll find that nowhere. Right? You'll find that nowhere. But that's what he says to the church of Ephesus. All you have to do is repent and turn, and and you'll get that first love back because I'm there waiting. You know, so he says, for us as a church, if you've fallen out of love, you need to turn and repent and change the things so you can be in love with him again and be on fire for him again. Then we went to the church of Smyrna. So he wrote a letter to the church in Smyrna, which is called the persecuted church. Right? So the church of Ephesus was the church that lost their first love. The church in Smyrna was a church that was called the suffering church. And so here's what we found out about the church in Smyrna. So they were people that were persecuted for the way that they believed. And here was what's so cool about the persecution. It revealed something inside of them. Right? This is what he said to the church in Smyrna is that persecution has revealed what only persecution and trials will reveal is what's deep inside of your heart that you've had veiled. Right? Like you're going to find out where your faith is when the testing comes. Right? That was the church of Smyrna. So the church in Smyrna, what we learned from them is, is that he said, don't run away from persecution and don't run away from testing because persecution and testing is the only place that your heart is truly going to be revealed. And I said, unfortunately, we live inside of a culture where we've ran away from persecution and we've ran away from testing. Right? You don't want to be tested. You don't want to be persecuted. Anytime those things come up, you don't want to sit in it and say, God, what do you want to reveal in it? You want to run away from it and find something that will make you comfortable again. Because nobody wants to go through the pain. Nobody wants to go through the persecution. Nobody wants to go through the suffering. And so I said, what we need to learn as a church is that if the testing comes, maybe there's something that needs to be revealed. And maybe when that testing comes, don't run away from it, but look at what it reveals. And again, the same concept. Isn't this what's so great about reading the book of Revelation? It's the same concept. So once something is revealed through persecution and testing, all you have to do is repent and change it and fix it. And he's there and he'll heal it, right? He'll do what only he can do. And so we learned from the church in Smyrna, like, don't run away from persecution. And maybe this is what we need to do as a church. Maybe it's time to stand up for something. And I'm not just saying something, right? It's not like just pick a battle and stand up for something. I'm like, stand up for Jesus and what he says, right? And see him as the thing that's going to change this world and stand up for the things that he believes and the things that he says. And we already know this, right? So this is a given. 
So if you're wondering, like, I wonder why I'm never tested, just process this. If you love Jesus, the world will hate you, okay? So if there ain't anybody hating, (laughs) I'm not really sure how much loving they're doing, right? You know what I mean? Because if you're loving Jesus and you're standing for him and you're standing on his precepts and you're doing the things that he's called you to do, you will find opposition in this world, right? Like we already know that. He already says those things. So I challenged each one of us to just, you know, get to this point where we need to stand for something. If he says it, we need to believe it and we need to stand for it. And and people are going to push up against that, but that's okay because it's going to reveal something about us. Okay? Now, here's what we're going to look at today. The church in Pergamum, which I told you Revelations 2, is called the worldly church. Right? Now, here's going to be the challenge that you're faced with today that I think a lot of times we don't think about. Here's the challenge that was going on in the church of Pergamum, and, and I'm going to give you a, like a preview of it. Is for the first time ever, he's asking people inside of the church to think outside of themselves. Okay, because here's what he's going to deal with, because this is what naturally happens in church, right? You come, and you're focused on who? You, hopefully. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, you're focused on changing something in you. You're going to listen. God's saying something to you. You're going to change it, and a lot of times, you're so focused on you, even though somebody around you could believe something, you're like, I got enough things to think about, and I got enough problems in myself. I don't need to think about what somebody else believes. True? Yeah, like when you're in a church, this is what happens sometimes. Like, I got enough of my own problems, you know, to be thinking about. I don't need to be thinking about what somebody else believes. Now, here's going to be the challenge I want you to think about. This is what's going to happen in the church of Pergamum that we're going to have to deal with. It says that there will be faithful believers that will exist with people inside of the church that are teaching a false doctrine. And you could be faithful, and this false doctrine is taught in your church, but both of you are going to be judged the same way for allowing a false doctrine and a false teaching to go on inside of your church. Because what happens is you become part of the worldly church where it's only thought about you, but you're accepting the beliefs of other things that are not what Scripture says. So what he teaches for the first time is acceptance of a false teaching brings the same judgment as the false teaching. Now that's, <laughs> that gets a little bit like personal right? Because now all of a sudden, if you're under the roof of a church, because I've heard this all the time, like, I have a certain denomination that I'm in, and I know they believe this, but I believe this. Okay? And, right, well, it doesn't matter, because my belief, I'm faithful, I'm with Jesus, I know they're wrong, but all my friends go here, so I can't leave. I'm like, well, (laughs) I think what you're going to find today is you might want to reconsider, Because being a part of that essentially is just saying that I accept what that belief is and that way he deals with it is, is, you know, through judgment. And that's what we're going to see. So just like last time, we're going to read through it, you know, all the way through it. And then once we get all the way through it, we're going to break it down and see what we can learn. But remember, this is what he's going to start processing, right, is how churches and or people have become worldly. Right? Now, I want to make sure, here's a definition 
about worldly. So this is a definition based upon scripture. When we talk about the worldly church or you being worldly or when scripture talks about you being worldly, it says any preoccupation with or interest in the temporal systems of life that places anything perishable before that which is eternal. Okay, so that gives you, so if the Bible's talking about don't be worldly, that's what it's saying. If you put things that are perishable in front of that which is imperishable or eternal, then you're living worldly, right? So when he's talking about the church, that's what we'll be talking about. All right, so Revelations 2, and we're going to start in verse uh, 12, and we're going to read all the way through it, and then we're going to come back um, to come back and break it down. So here's what he says, Revelations 2, starting in verse 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has a sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. These are some, uh, these are some, there are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they, so they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual, sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth." Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. So, let's look at the picture. Okay, so here's the picture that, that he's trying to paint. So here's a church, right, inside of a city that obviously Satan's working overtime on. But what he says is, is there's people in this side of the, inside of the city and inside of the church that are very faithful, right? So very faithful. Lots of people inside of it, very faithful. But inside of that same city but and inside of that same church, okay? So this is what he's trying to get you the picture of. People coming to church, same place, same building. You have a teacher getting up teaching, and most of the people believe what it says. But inside of that church is also false teaching, right? And they're coexisting together, okay? So inside of that church, false teaching is coexisting together, and the people of the church know it, but they've made a decision, right? And their decision is this. Better that we just coexist together than ruffle feathers, right? Because at the end of the day, I mean, let's just be honest. So at the end of the day, we still all believe in Jesus, You ever heard that before, right? I mean, at the end of the day, as long as you love Jesus, it doesn't really matter, right? You know, it doesn't matter what they believe and what they believe, and it doesn't matter if it's wrong, but at the end of the day, as long as we can just all agree on this. So they chose to coexist together, and here's the problem, right? And I think this is the problem today. Because they chose to coexist together and do nothing about it, right, Scripture says that God is coming back to judge both of them, right? That those who will accept, right? And this is what it, and again, you can go and there's lots of Scripture that you can figure this, but you can find this. But a person who is a friend with God, right? A person who is on God's side, again, is against the things of the world. If you are a part of the world, you are an enemy of God. 
God. Now, here's what he's saying. Just because you don't believe it, acceptance of that belief inside of the local body is essentially saying, I believe it. Now, that's a hard one, isn't it? You're like, well, I didn't believe it. I don't believe it. And I don't really want to talk to him. Because, you know, every time you bring something up that somebody gets, you know, it's a tense subject. I mean, does anybody want to have a tense subject? Does anybody want to have conflict? I mean, I do. Like, I don't mind conflict. You know, that part doesn't bother me at all, like, to be able to talk through things. But how many people want to have the hard conversation with somebody? Because you know how it is when somebody believes something? And when they think they're right? Do you know how those conversations go? You know what I mean? Like when you try to have conversations with somebody that believes they're right, you're just like, it's better just left alone. So is it? Is it better just left alone? Yeah, I think what you're going to find is it's not better to just be left alone, right? That we as Christian people, if we see false teaching, and this is what I'm going to challenge you with, and I, again, I always try to soften it up, but I'm just, I can't ever make this soft. Like here's the deal. If you're existing under a denomination or a leadership that has false teaching, but inside of that church, well, you believe this way, judgment is coming on you, which is this. I don't care how many friends are in the church. I don't care how much they believe or any of those things. And honestly, at this point, what he's saying is, and it's not just about your faith, right? And here's why he says it, because this is really important. Do you remember the scripture that talks about the, the leaven that gets into the bread? Do you remember that, where he says just a little piece of leaven gets into the whole dough and ruins the whole dough? It's the same concept in the church, right? It's the same. This is what he's saying. If a church allows those things inside of it, it's just going to continue to grow and continue to grow and, and continue to grow, and you're going to have a serious problem. So the only way you can get rid of a serious problem, the only way you can get rid of the leaven, if it's stuck inside of the dough, is get rid of the dough and start over without the leaven, right? Now, those things that we're going to talk about today, I think for all of us are going to be difficult because I think maybe for the first time, you start processing this idea of what's happened inside of Christian culture right? Because inside of Christian culture, we've developed an inept Christianity. We just have. We've developed a Christianity that fits what everybody wants, and it's powerless. This is powerless. And we keep wondering why God's not showing up, and why isn't he doing things? Well, the reason is, is because we've taken what he wanted for each one of us, and we've taken all the power away from it because we're not dealing with what we need to deal with, right? Which is false teaching and becoming a part of the worldly church. Now, let's break it down and look at it to see uh, what we can learn. So, Revelations 2, 12 through 17, right from the beginning, it says, to the angel of the church of Pergamum, right? So, just real quick, what is the city of Pergamum and what are they dealing with, okay? So inside of the city, not a port city like Ephesus and Smyrna, so they weren't on the Aegean Sea, you know, so they were away from that, but they were considered the central city of Asia, right? So it was a big city, and the reason that it was a big city is because it was known for learning. So they had the second largest library in all of Asia at the time, and so anybody that wanted to learn something, they came to Pergamum. They came to that city to be able to learn. So there's a lot of learned people there. Also, you saw what you saw in a lot of those cities, which is the worship of all the Greek gods, 
right? That's pretty common. You see all the worship of the Greek gods. But for the first time, you see something that hasn't been seen before, and it's called emperor worship. So emperor worship was now instituted in Pergamum, which meant whoever the emperor of Rome was or whichever one they wanted to enshrine, they put inside of the city, and you as a person of the city had to worship the emperor, right? Or if you didn't, it was seen as treason or sentenced by death. In fact, what we just read where it talks about Antipas. So Antipas, one of the leaders of the church, was killed because he wouldn't worship one of the emperors, right, to one of the shrines that they had. So the big deal about this is this. The inside of that church now, you used to have a choice of whether or not you could worship Greek gods. Like, you didn't have to. Like, if you wanted to, you could, but you didn't have to. Now inside of this city, now with emperor worship, you don't have a choice. If you're going to be there, you're going to figure out how to bow down to the emperor, and you're going to figure out how to submit to the emperor through that. So this was a big deal for the church and a big deal in their struggle of the things that they were going through, and that's why he calls it Satan's throne, right? Because all of the things that were going on around there, it was like Satan's throne. Now, he introduces something next that um, we had heard about in, in uh, the first chapter of Revelations, and we're going to talk about it on a little bit of a deeper level. Because he says that we're in Pergamum, and he says, these are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. So you remember the imagery in um, chapter 1 where it says Jesus is coming, and out of his mouth is a sharp, double-edged sword? So he says that in the beginning. And again, this is the part about Revelation. Sometimes people are like, well, that's weird as heck. You know, who comes out with this double-edged sword protruding out of his mouth? And who, why a double-edged sword and what does it mean? Well, now in the church of Pergamum, he's going to show you what the double-edged sword really means. Okay? So here's what the double-edged sword is first. The double-edged sword is the word of God. Okay? So the sword, like imagery that you see inside of Scripture, is the word of God. Now, it's really important that you understand this because otherwise it doesn't work. So when he's talking about the double-edged sword and it's the word of God, we have to understand what each edge is for and why it has an edge and what we need to do with it if you're going to get the concept of the double-edged sword. So here's what one side of the double-edged sword is supposed to be. When you read scripture, right, this side of the sword the word of God, is supposed to cut and expose what needs to be cut and exposed, okay? So when you read it, you're supposed to be reading it in a way that all of a sudden it cuts something open in you and exposes something that you need to deal with, okay? That's why I always tell people, you know, well, I'll just tell you, like when I used to read scripture, <laughs> this is the way I read scripture, like, in the beginning. Nope, I can't do that one, and I can't do that one, and I can't do this one, and then I find the one that I'm doing, and I'm like, I'm going to camp on this verse, right? If you do that, the double-edged sword can't do any work in your life because it can't expose what needs to be exposed. You know why you don't want to read it? Because it exposes what's wrong in your life, right? Like, it exposes those things, and the only way that we're ever going to get anything done is allow it to be what it needs to be, right? Don't take the edge off the sword because you choose not to believe this as absolute truth, okay? So this is a problem, right? Don't believe that you get to assign degrees of what God thinks about sin, okay? I'll just give you an example. We do this in the church all the time as we look at socially unacceptable sins, 
Okay? So homosexuality is a socially unacceptable sin, right? The church is always talking about it. Oh, man, people, you know, struggle with homosexuality. This is what the Bible says about it. You know what the Bible says about it? Those people, and I mean, they just go through the list, okay? And this is what I always say, because this is the problem with the church. Do you realize that there are socially acceptable sins that you never talk about? In fact, in that same verse, when they're talking about homosexuality, they're also talking about greed. And you know the problem with greed right now is the majority of people inside of the Christian church are greedy, you know why you know that? Because less than 1% of people that are evangelical, evangelical Christians give. Less than 1%. Well, nobody, anybody want to talk about that one? Right? I mean, how many churches do you get up there and say, in the same sentence, this is what it says about homosexuality. Well, it also says about you who are greedy. The same thing is trying to be exposed. There's a problem. So what you do too many times is you just read over those things because socially it's been accepted to be a greedy Christian. Let's just be honest. Right? No one's talking about it. Everybody's accepted it. So we don't ever talk about it. So when you read this and it's dealing with greed and it's dealing with money, you just read over those things because nobody really cares about those things. But sexual immorality and all these other things, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, that person is, and we're going to deal with that part of it. Well, that does not allow the double-edged sword to do what it needs to do. If you're going to read around things and not let it deal with what it needs to deal, same concept, right? Look at people gossip all the time. Do you know what I mean? This is a terrible thing. Like, people gossip. Remember what gossip is? When you're talking where you're neither a part of the problem or the solution, you're a gossip. You know what it says about gossiping inside of Scripture? Maybe you should read it. I'm just telling you, right? But you don't want to read that part because it applies to you and it sticks with you and you don't want it to do what it needs to do, which is to expose something inside of your heart that really needs fixed. That's the one side of the double-edged sword. And the problem with Christianity today is because we have chose to become cultural, we've dulled the edge of the sword and that's the reason that God can't do the work that he needs to do in the people inside of the church. Because you're just not preaching it anymore. You're not talking about it anymore. Nobody wants to confront it anymore. And so God can't do a work if you're not going to read the word. Or God can't do a work if you're not going to read it as is. These are commandments, not suggestions. Listen to me. I say this to people who are getting married all the time. And I look at the guys and I say, you know what? Do you know what it says in this scripture of what it means to be a man of God and to lead your family? Just so you know, you're in trouble. Right? I'm telling you, if you read this for what it says to be a leader inside of your home, you know how hard it is? It's way difficult to get done. So instead of it being like, you know what, it is way difficult and I need cut open what needs to be cut open, I need to see where I'm not leading and what I'm not doing and I need to fix it. Instead, we're like, well, I mean, that's kind of outdated. And I mean, look around. How many guys are actually leaders in their family anyway? I mean, my wife's good at it, and she can just take it over. Why do I need to do anything? Right? You didn't let the double-edged sword do what it needs to do. It's cutting you open for a reason. You're not where you need to be. Do something about it. Right? Don't look at it as a suggestion book for marriage counseling. There are commands, men. There are commands, women, for what it means to be men and women of God. 
Don't talk around them. Don't walk around them. Don't look at society and say society doesn't care. It doesn't matter. He does. Because, here's the deal. Here's what's, <laughs> one side of the sword is supposed to expose. You know what the other side of the sword is? What nobody wants to talk about? Once you're exposed, you get a chance to see, repent, and change. And it's healed. Isn't that cool? Exposes. Repentance. Heals. And you're stronger because of it. Right? If you don't, you know what the other side of the sword is? Judgment. I know you don't want to hear this. God of love and God of mercy and God of grace is also a God of judgment. One side of the sword swings to expose an opportunity for us to repent and heal. And the other side of the sword swings back when those who choose to do nothing about it, judgment is coming. And too many times inside of the church, we don't want to talk about judgment. I'm telling you, but the reason that he's judging you is because he loves you. The reason that the sword's swinging back is because he wants you to see the power of God that can only come through a double-edged sword, right? It can only happen when the cutting happens and when things are exposed. And if they're not healed, judgment wakes us up to the open wound that needs healed, pushes us to the place where we need to go. Right? It can only work when it's a double-edged sword, and he introduces this in a way to not scare you, but to encourage you. Let it open up the wounds, and then recognize that repentance heals you and makes you better. But also understand the warning that if you're going to do nothing about it, judgment is coming because he loves you. And we need to understand that because you can't walk away from the side that is true on the double-edged sword that judgment is going to come. Now, he goes on and again uh, talks more about here in verse 13 where he says, And I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas. Remember, we talked about Antipas was the one who was the Christian leader at the time and he wouldn't bow down to emperor worship and he was actually killed. And so they're saying, you even stayed true when the leader of the church was killed for uh, being a follower of mine. Now my faithful witness who's put to death in your city where Satan lives. So again, painting that picture that they're inside of Satan's throne now. But he comes back with this. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who also taught Balak, to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you're, uh, likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now, here's a concept that you probably don't hear talked about in church, but I'm going to quickly go over it. Very clear inside of Scripture, whether it's through Jesus' teachings or whether through the teachings of the epistles, that there is this thing called church discipline. Okay? And I know nobody wants to talk about it because I'm going to talk about it, and you're going to be like, that was a terrible idea to talk about in church. But here's how it works, right? Because this is what he says. If there's sin, right, people living in sin, here's what he says to somebody who is a faithful believer who sees false teaching or sin. He says you need to go to that person, right? And you need to say what you're believing isn't true, and that's a sin. And you, through the love of Christ, will work with that person and you will find truth that comes just from Scripture because you know the reason why we go to those people? Because remember why? We don't go to point them out and say you're awful and I'm better. You know why? Because we understand the double-edged sword. We know what's swinging back because we've been there. 
right? Anybody that can do this can do this because they've been on the other side of the sword, right? Like I've been that side of it where I didn't listen and I was cut open and I got judgment back. Listen, I don't want anybody else to be on that side. So we do this. We go to people and say, like, listen, this is what's going on in your life. I want to help you, right? And then it says if they don't listen, you go and get another person. You take it with them, you know, and you talk about it. And if they don't listen, you go get the elders, you know, and the elders come and talk to them. And you know what it says after all of that if they don't listen? This is why I'm sure all of you are going to say this is a terrible idea to say in church. It says you kick them out. You know, how many churches are saying we're kicking them out because, you know what I mean? Like, you can't get them in. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, we can't get them in the door. We're talking about kicking them out of the door. Now, again, I I want you to understand this. Sometimes this is taken out of context. You know, people are just, like, looking around, like, who can I call out and who do I need to go to? And I, you know what I mean? They're like, who can we get out of this church that I don't like? You know, someone to call out their sin. That's not what this is. You see, when you're in relationship with somebody, because we understand that this is done through relationship because that's why you know what's going on in their life, right? When you're in relationship with that person and you love them and you know the sword's coming back on the other side, but in love, you're going to go to them and you're going to be like, dude, we got to work through this, right? We got to work through this. And here's what you're going to find inside of relationships sometimes. When people's belief systems are challenged, what you get to see is what you never saw before is what's really revealed, Because if you never challenge it and you never talk about it, you really don't know what's in there, right? You don't. I mean, and so part of that challenging, and that's why he says, well, go and get another person because maybe you're terrible at explaining it and they think it's just, uh, you know, it's like me against you, right? That's why they say go get another person because it isn't a me against you thing. This is I love you thing. Right, And then the whole reason why he says then end up kicking him out, because this is what he knows and understands. This isn't to be mean. He understands the concept of what we talked about earlier, a little bit of leaven. A little bit of leaven ruins the whole loaf. Right, And so he says we just got to deal with this because there's bigger things on the table. And he's trying to help us remember this. Like when you're, when you're a friend of God, like, you're an enemy of the world, and when you're a friend of the world, God is an enemy of you. Like, that's just the way that it works. And he's trying to tell you acceptance of false teaching makes you a friend of the world, right? And he doesn't want that because it makes it so he can't work with you. Now, in that, he also brings up two teachings that I want to make sure we see, and we'll just go through them real quick. So he teaches about Balaam and Balak, so Numbers 25. So if you want to go back and do your research, go to Numbers 25, In Numbers 25, it describes this thing that was happening. I'm only going to describe it to you because I don't want you to think I'm standing up here saying, oh, God's a God of judgment. I've never really seen how he deals with that. Well, here's one of the ways. There's lots of them, but this is one of them. There was a commandment to all of the Jewish people to not marry outside of Jewish people, right? That was a commandment, right? If you're a Jew, marry a Jew, right? And here's what the people around the Jewish community saw, the nation of Israel, when God was on, side of the, on the side of the nation of Israel, they could never be defeated, right? You see that throughout the Old Testament. When God's on their side, they can never be defeated. So everybody was trying to figure out how to make it so God wasn't on the side of the nation of Israel. So one of the ways that they did it was Balaam decided, well, the best thing to do is, is we're going to try to entice him with women, right? So he's like, we're going to introduce Moabite women into this Jewish community and see if we can get these Jews to marry Moabite women, right? So guess what happened? The seduction of a woman, guys didn't have much, you know, couldn't stay back, so they ended up marrying Moabite women. 
And in this, this is what was happening inside of the camp. So they were faithful Israelite people that knew what was going on inside of the nation of Israel, inside of their camp. They knew it was wrong, but they were just like, well, I'm not doing it, so I'm not going to do anything about it. Okay, following the story? So I'm just not going to do anything about it because I'm not the one doing it, and so God's going to deal with the people who are doing it. Well, guess what happens? A plague comes. And who do you think the plague comes on? The entire camp. Not just the ones who were following into the sin, but the entire camp. And people started dying. Faithful people who weren't in the sin started dying. Because a plague came because God was identifying something that each one of us need to know and understand. If there's sin in the camp, it affects everyone. And you better deal with it. Right? And at the end of the story, this is what we see. Finally, the, these guys in the nation of Israel get it. They say, we got to eliminate the sin in the camp. And so this guy takes a spear and runs it through the Moabite woman, kills her, right? And immediately when he deals with the sin, the plague goes away. Right? And I just want to, again, I know this is hard to hear sometimes, but you just need to know this reality. God does love you, and sometimes that's why the plague is coming. Because he doesn't want sin in the camp. He doesn't want his people to accept those types of sins, right? So he deals with it in a way that says, you together, the faithful, your acceptance of the unfaithful and doing nothing about it, the same plague affects you. The same judgment is coming upon you, right? And we need to take that seriously, right? As a church, we need to take that seriously. You need to take that seriously, right, on how he deals with those things. And then again, he talks about the Nicolaitans and the teaching of the Nicolaitans, some of the same things. So Nicholas, do you remember in Acts 4 where they didn't have enough time to hand out food because everybody was out preaching, right? So they said, we got to put some guys together to hand out food. So Nicholas was one of the people that handed out food, well, over time, Nicholas developed this idea of he was going to create cultural Christianity. So he's like, you know, they say we don't do any of the Jewish customs. I want a few of the Jewish customs. So he brought in a few Jewish customs. Then he brought in a few more Jewish customs. And so he had this like Christianity, Jewish hybrid. And then he just decided on a whim that pagan orgies also fit, right? So if you're a Nicolaitan, you're kind of Jewish and you're kind of Christian, and it's okay to be a part of pagan orgies, right? So that's what was going on inside of the church, and the people inside of the church is like, out of sight, out of mind. If I don't, you know, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm not going to do anything about it. And so they coexisted together, and inside of this, this is what we see and how he deals with. So it gives them a chance to do something about it, right? So here's what he says in verse 16, which he says in each one of our scriptures. He says, repent, therefore, Otherwise, I will soon come to you and I will fight against them, meaning all of them, with the sword of my mouth. Now, before he tells us to repent, this time he's saying repent and or, you know, if you don't repent, not only am I going to not be upset about it, and not only is it going to affect your life, I'm coming against you. How do you like those? Right? Like, it's not just... Repent, I hope you get your life right. If you don't repent, I'm coming to fight against them, those, you as a church, for accepting being a worldly church. You need to do something about it or I'm coming against you. But again, remember, all we have to do is repent. Stop accepting it. Stop, again, 
Listen, we have got to stop making the word of God inept. We have got to allow the power of God to be what it is. And the only way it can be what it is is through the word of God and believing what it says. And recognizing how the two-edged sword is supposed to work in each one of our lives. So as the worship team comes up, I'm going to give you a couple things to think about. So, if you're like me, or were like me, like I don't do this anymore, but if you were like me in the beginning and you're reading the Bible and skipping over all the things that hurt, stop. In fact, what changed this for me is I was reading the book uh, Crazy Love by Francis Chan. Anybody ever read that book? And I, I never cry, and I cried. Because Francis Chan said, you know what's wrong with American Christianity? They're reading all of these pieces in Scripture and do nothing about it. Here's the challenge. Read until it tells you to do something. And once you, as it tells you to do something, don't read one more piece of Scripture until you do it. Because what good is it? Like you can keep reading and reading and reading. You're not doing squat. Read it, and when it tells you to do something, no matter how hard it is, do it. Right? That's what we as believers have to do. These aren't suggestions. These are commandments as followers of Jesus Christ that you're upheld to. Don't read over them. If you need to deal with your leadership, men, if you need to deal with discipling your children, if you need to deal with a sin that you have, deal with it. Let it be what it needs to be. Expose what needs to be exposed and let God do the only work that he can do, right? Because when the sword cuts, it also heals, right? And that's the most important thing. Let it, let it, let it be open. Repent and let him put you back together because when he puts you back together, he puts you back together right and whole and power that you never had before. Let those things happen. And I think it's so cool because today we get to take communion together. And you know what the cool thing about communion is? Is one, we get to remember, like, thank goodness that we can repent and he can heal us. The blood of Jesus Christ. Death on the cross. Blood shed for you. Gives you the ability to do this. When you're walking away, but when you turn and repent, he's there to welcome you in. And not only there to welcome you in, but to cover you with his blood, to make you whole and to give you the power to change the world. That's the blood of Jesus Christ, right? That's what's so great about communion and we need to be reminded, right? Reminded of this. That was a gift and that gift's for you. And that we as Christian people need to remember the cost that was paid for your life. Here's the other thing that he tells us to do and I think sometimes we forget this. He says, before you come up to these communion tables, you need to take a time to focus and look at your heart and allow the things to be exposed that need to be exposed. Before you just jump up and take communion, if there's sin that you need to deal with, you need to deal with it. If there are times where you've been hiding and not allowing the word of God to do what it needs to be, open it up, let it be open, and deal with the sin. Right? That's what that time of reflection is. That's what he asks you to do is take a good chance to look inside of your heart and see what it is. And again, not with this idea of condemnation because you don't live under the condemnation anymore. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. There is no more condemnation. You open it up because you want changed. 
You open it up not to feel guilty. You open it up because you know the one that's going to heal you and change you and bring the power to you, right? Like that's why we say, you know what? I do have this sin. I do have this problem. I haven't been doing what you've called me to do, but I know, God, that I repent and come to you that you'll heal me and that you'll restore me. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take an opportunity for reflection. So uh, uh, before, we're just like, whenever you're ready, come forward. But we're actually just going to say, you know, for a minute here, I want you to take some time. I want you to reflect. I want you to process. I want you to open up your heart to God. See what needs to be revealed. And then Corinne will tell us when the communion tables are open, and then we'll take communion together. Now, a reminder, we have four tables with the number of people we have in church now. We want to make sure that you can get through. So there's two in the front and two in the back. And when the communion tables are open, we'd love for you to participate with us. As an online community, we just want you to know how much we value you and how much we love that you're a part of our church family. So we want to take an opportunity to uh, participate and take communion with you. And so if you have the elements with you, we just ask that you gather them together and we uh, will take communion together as an online community. Here's what the scripture says in Matthew 26, verse 26. While they're eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many, for the forgiveness of sins.
So we just want uh, to invite you as an online community as we rejoin the main camp campus to celebrate together uh, as a church and a church family in the great gift of his sacrifice, the great gift of communion, and just celebrate our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please stand up and join us in this last song for worship. Oh, come to the old. 
Christ, 
As you wait for the crown, tell the world of the treasure you found. Jesus is calling. You know what I love about that song as we sing it together is if we allow the Word of God to do what it needs to do in us. It pushes us to the only place that can fix us, to the altar, right? To Christ's blood, to, to being with him where things really change. And so allow the, the, the work of God, allow the word of God to, to transform whatever needs to be transformed in you. Allow him to reveal what needs to be revealed. Allow him to heal what needs to be healed. And then again, as believers, let's keep each other accountable. Let's stay on God's side and allow him to use us in ways to change the world. So thanks for being here with us this week. We'll see you guys next week.